All right. Well, we're glad to have all of you. This is uh, our second Sunday in this classroom. And for me, this is my first Sunday in the classroom since last Sunday we were in Colorado at our granddaughter's graduation, which went was tremendous. We just had a great time. It was a uh, it was a difficult time at, at points, but it was we're glad we were there and uh, glad we got to be with them. And then we came home. Got, we we got back on um, Tuesday afternoon, and we were home Wednesday and Thursday. And then Friday morning, we drove down to Harlingen for another grandchild, our grandson's graduation. We were there yesterday for that. We left yesterday afternoon and drove to, uh, as my daughter corrected me, Buda instead of Buddha. I said, we're going to Buddha. She said, no, there's no, there's no Buddhism there. You're going to Buda, which is just south of Austin. And we stayed there last night and we got up. Oh, what a, yeah, we always get adventuresome stays wherever we go, adventuresome. Last night, so we go into this hotel in Buda, beautiful downtown Buda. Sort of like, how many of you remember a beautiful downtown Burbank? Johnny Carson show, all right. You didn't want to admit it, you're too good at Christians to admit that you watch Johnny Carson, all right? So we got in there and it was a really nice room. I was surprised and as soon as we laid down, we went to bed early so that we could get up very early and, and come and we got to bed early and as soon as the lights went out and we closed our eyes, they started an upstairs track meet. And it went on for about two hours. You know, they would run down. And then they'd run back. And then it would stop. And it would stop for about five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you'd just go to sleep. And they'd start again. And start. And so then, finally, I, you know, and I, I just, after an hour, I said, Lord, I got to have a little bit of sleep. All right. All right. I, it's bad enough as it is. So let me have a little bit of sleep so I won't fall over in the middle of the lesson this morning. So fell asleep. Everything's great. Got up this morning. And for those of you that travel a lot, you know what the hotel shower ironing process is. You know, you, you, know, you take your shirt out like I took the shirt out, hung it in there, turned the shower on. Okay. So in the midst of all that, Sally goes to the bathroom and comes out of the bathroom, closes the door, and I go over to open the door. The door is locked to the shower. The shower's going, and I said, I'm going to have to go to church in a T-shirt this morning. So that's how we started this day. And uh, fortunately, we figured out a way to get into the shower. And my shirt is very, uh, got very ironed, you know, uh, it it really works wonders for it to stay in there for an extended period of time. <laughs> but we're glad we're back. We are glad we're back. I'm, I appreciate Dennis taking last Sunday and helping us with that. And I understand you did a great job, Dennis. And I appreciate it. I really do. Um, so, it's good to see you. Announcements. I got Eddie sick. So we need to pray for Eddie. We have, we have a lot of people out of town because it's Memorial Day. And I was so, and my wife can tell you as we're coming up, I said, I'm going to teach you the lesson on the way. I, I made her drive for about an hour so I could just look over the lesson. I said, I'm going to teach you the lesson. As a matter of fact, if we get there and everybody's gone, we'll just go home. <laughs> so I think she was praying a little. No, no. She, uh, but we're glad to have our visitors, seriously. 
and we would invite you to come anytime. Don't tell Timothy I said that. And because when you say we went to Charlie Jones's class, you'll say who, you know, <laughs> a two and a half year old life group, and uh, uh, we're we're glad to glad to have you guys. So uh, announcements. <coughs> we start next Sunday on Second Peter. We're going to finish First Peter today. Second Peter is next Sunday. Uh, over on the table back there are a bunch of these. These are the uh, Outline for the summer through August the 12th. So uh, you can know what we're teaching on from week to week. So be sure to grab one. And Debbie are out today. You know, they have many um, uh, activities around these two weeks of uh, Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, you know, David and Debbie's son is a war hero. That's the only way I can say it. If you've never heard the story, how he gave his life in service for our country, ask David to tell you. It's an amazing story. But uh, they have a lot of, has it been 10 years since he, does anybody remember? I think it's 10 years this year that uh, that he died in, in battle. And so let's, we'll remember later on to pray for David uh, and Debbie especially. Um, okay, let's just stop for a moment and um, let the Lord speak to our hearts. Let's be still for just a second and shut everything else off and ask the Lord to, uh, this time that we've dedicated to him, that it would be time that uh, we're able to fellowship and connect with him, which is why we're here. Our goal is for all of us and anyone who walks in these doors on Sunday morning to experience Jesus. And that's not any... Uh, airy-fairy kind of statement. It's a serious, uh, it's our heart. So Lord, as we sit here, this is what we want to have happen in our midst today. We want to learn your word. We want to be taught. We want to be encouraged. We want to be uh, challenged by what Peter said in the closing chapter of his of his epistle. So speak to our hearts. Why are we here today? You brought us all here for a reason. We just didn't stumble into these meetings with you. It's our opportunity for us to, to learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, I do appreciate the guys helping the back. There's a lot that we can, we're going to learn as we go along, but they've already got all of this figured out. Also, the recording stuff where, you know, John doesn't have to remind me now. We, we remind John. And uh, so that's good. And I, I remember we used that so that we started out doing it so that uh, my mom could listen to the lessons at home. And, uh, but... Now he's figured out a way to make it a podcast so that you can listen to it if you're gone and you'd like to keep up, then you can do that. But turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, you'll notice in the notes that I gave you for today, if you'll remember, this is what we've studied in the book of Peter. It's a very simple, straightforward outline, but it, 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 I think it summarizes it very well. It's not my outline. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. And so I, I, he knows a lot, and he's a smart guy. And um, 
if you ever if, if if you need to know more about any particular book, I would highly encourage you to get Warren Wiersbe's notes. He has notes on the whole Bible now that are published. So anyway, uh, the good outline that we've used throughout the last four months, I guess, on First Peter is God's grace and salvation is the first chapter into the second chapter. Then God's grace in submission. Remember how we talked about submission to authority, submission in the home, submission at, at the workplace. And then we began, which, which I think is the real meat of this book, is the uh, God's grace in suffering. Remember this, this uh, group of churches scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor, they... Uh, they were going uh, through intense persecution, not just suffering as we may know it today, but their suffering that at that time that they faced was the suffering of, of uh, intense persecution under nasty Nero, the wacko Nero, who was persecuting Christians and ultimately would have Peter's uh, martyred. So that's the, that's the outline. Today, though, we're going to finish up the book, and what a way to finish this up. The outline for today, which I have for you, be watchful in verse 8 and 9, and then be hopeful in verse uh, 10, and then the rest of the chapter is the final blessing that, uh, that Peter gives and a couple of real jewels in the last few verses. So we'll begin at verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I believe what Peter is doing here, this is, and this is so good to, to think about this. Peter is remembering what Jesus told him back in uh, Luke chapter 22. If you remember in Luke chapter 22, there had been a discussion about who's great. You know, the, as I told you uh, a few weeks ago, the uh, Muhammad Ali discussion, I am the greatest. No, 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 I am the greatest. No, uh, no, I am the greatest. That was a discussion that was going on. Jesus looked at Peter. I think this was a, such an outstanding event in Peter's life that he refers to this, I think, in this passage. Because Peter was very proud that he was serving the Lord and was one of his inner circle. Listen to what he says. And I, I, I read from the NLT here because I think it's such a good translation of this verse in Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Now, if you read that in King James, and I did growing up all the time, where it says, Satan hath desired to sift you like wheat. I always wonder, what, what does this being sifted like wheat mean? <laughs> That's, that sounds bad, but I, you know, I don't know what that really means. We do that a lot, don't we, in Scripture? We read through it, we, we read through it, oh, yeah. And you come back and say, well, what does that mean? I have no idea. But if you read, in, you, you read it in the NLT in this verse, it says, Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me. That's what the enemy is trying to do, is to separate us from our relationship with Jesus. Pure and simple. He goes on, he said, 
um, you know, if you remember that these, these Christian friends are going through fiery trials. Now, we talked about fiery trials in depth a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think. So I won't go into it again. But as all of you recognize, you either have just gone through a fiery trial, you're going through a fiery trial, or you will go through a fiery trial. You say, well, that's encouraging. It's true, right? Some of you are going through fiery trials right now. I said that to Dan the other day. It's just your fiery trial. I mean, you can't get much fiery. <laughs> right? Right. Well, guess what? Guess what, Ron, going through all these fiery trials that you're going through right now? Guess what? That's when you're most vulnerable. That's when Satan desires to separate you from the love of Christ, from the fellowship and, and day-to-day relationship with Jesus. That's when he's after you. What does he try to do? It says he tries to separate you just like you separate the chaff from wheat. You see, he's trying to separate you. So what does he do? He comes whispering to you while you're going through this suffering. And he says, you know what? God's failed you. He's failed you. Because you know what he is? He's an accuser. He's your adversary. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And he said, you know what? God's trying to, he, he just can't do, he can't handle this problem. You say, well, I'd never say that. Well, as they said in an old movie, you're a better man than May Gunga Dem. Because that's happened to me on a number of occasions, and I hate to admit it. But I hear that, uh, that whisper, the adversary, saying, God's failed you. Yes, sir. The same thing that in, in Genesis, you won't die if you eat that fruit. That's right. It's exactly right. They just, they just look at what it could do. And it separated them from fellowship and ultimately all of us. It's yep. a good point. So what do we do? So in this text, he says uh, very clearly, what's the next slide? Respect him. Respect him, Satan. You say, well, does that mean I'm supposed to you know, walk around in fear? No, it's recognize who he is. You know, he's dangerous. He's dangerous. It's not something to, to play with. Recognize him, the great pretender, counterfeits, trying to make things look like it's God's work. And before you know it, he's got you, just like in the garden, and resist him. Now, I must admit, here's another place that I stop and say, what does resist him mean? What does that look like? Look at the next verse, verse 9. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Your brothers in the world are going through the same kind of suffering. How do we resist it? I think we've got two examples in Scripture, okay, of how to resist it. Number one is the temptation of Christ. That's a good example of how to resist it. I don't know about you, but I've heard resist the devil and he will flee from you all my life. And yet, how do I make that practical? Well, Jesus made it very practical from his example. How do we resist him? Look at the temptation of Jesus. If you go back, we don't have time to do it, but if you go back to Luke chapter 4 and read the first 13 verses of that, you'll see how he went into uh, the wilderness very early on in his public ministry. He goes out in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days. He says he was, he was led. He was, filled, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where his power came from because he goes without 
He fasts for 40 days. So he has to have power, physical, spiritual power, because he, he's filled with the Spirit. He said he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, so he's following the direction that the Holy Spirit gives him. He said that Scripture was his guide. Every time he was tempted, how did he answer it? With, with the Bible, every time. So he said, the devil goes, are you hungry? You know, you could, you could, you could say, uh, make these stones bread if you're the son of God. And there's the temptation, and Jesus comes back and says, man does not live by bread alone. Quotes the scripture. Uh, he was led by the Spirit. He, uh, scripture was his guide. He made a choice based on scriptural principles. He made a choice. I think it's interesting that we say, you know, I, and I've got to say this here. How many of you remember um, Flip Wilson? What was his famous, uh, I mean, he was a one-trick pony. He had one line. What was it? The devil made me do it. What a bunch of baloney. There's a lot of things that made Flip Wilson do what he did, but, that, you know, the devil wasn't a part of that. That was uh, probably emanating from his own self. His own flesh. And, you know, we, we laugh at that. And I, I did, I used to, the devil made me do it has no place in, in scripture. The devil is very deceitful. Our enemy is deceitful and our enemy decides that he wants to devour us. He made the right priorities. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. He lives by what comes from God's mouth. So make the right choices based on the right priorities. A lot of people have trouble with the enemy because they've never chosen that they want to fight. Well, you know, I was just sort of in this situation and it just sort of happened. You know, the flesh. I'm sort of like Paul. The things I want to do, I don't. I, I don't. The things I do, I, I don't want to do. So that's just the way it is. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You made a choice. The devil does the temptation. We make the choice. All right. James chapter 4, I won't read all of that, but James chapter 4, verse 7, 8 says, submit to God, draw near to him, and that's how you resist the devil. So read that later on. You can see what he said. He said, see, be, be in fellowship with me, submit to me, and um, draw near to me. That's how you win that battle. All right, let's go quickly. Before I leave that, though, let me just make one statement. If believers, we as believers, if we deny our faith during a time of trial, if we deny our faith during a time of trial, that's when, according to what I think this scripture is talking about, Satan has devoured us. And there's nothing, uh, there's nothing funny about the devil made me do it when you think about that. And when you have this, with this testing period and testing time, and Peter had it, didn't he? Peter goes and they take Jesus away. And he's standing outside warming his hand by the fire. And she goes, aren't you one of the disciples? He goes, no, not me. And he does it three times. And he goes out and remembers the words of Jesus. And he weeps bitterly. Just like we do when we fall to temptation. But then if we say during that trial, you know, this, this thing, living for Jesus, doesn't work. Look what I've gone through. Satan won. He devoured your faith. That's what he's trying to do. All right, let's read verse 10. 
Now, here I would highly recommend that you read from the NLT because this, this verse to me this week has just, I mean, has come alive to me. Look at this verse. In his kindness, God called you to share in his, external, in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, I'm sorry. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. He, he ends positively, doesn't he, this book? He says, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Well, he says, Why should I be hopeful? He said, well, you know, we have God's grace. In his grace, in his kindness, God called you. We know we're going to glory. He said, to share in his eternal glory. He's telling these guys who are suffering. He said, look, be hopeful. You're going to heaven, man. <laughs> this is, look, this is, this is not good. This is not a fun place to be because you're a pilgrim. You're, you're not a citizen of here. This is not a good place sometimes, most of the time. But we're going to glory. Right? Amen? We're suffering. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to heaven. Go right now. Say, All right. It, that, that's not a bad deal, is it? You think I'm getting Pentecostal? That's what I do to Pentecostal churches. <laughs> Look to your neighbor and say, I'm going to heaven. Right? All right. You know how they take offerings sometimes? And I, I, you know, and it, this is a sidebar. And, and what, in some of these old churches, so yeah, they, yeah, this is true. This is true. You know I wouldn't make this up. They say, all right, we're going to take the offering. Everybody take, everybody take a bill out of your pocket, a bill, $10, $20, $100 bill. Take it out of your pocket. Lift it high over your head. Now bow your head and pray with me. And then the ushers come and grab all those bills out of your hand. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the lesson. Our present suffering is for a while. Our, our present suffering is for a while. Maybe now for a while. Maybe until we get to heaven. And then our trials are building Christian character. They're building Christian character. I know. Uh, uh, let me just tell you that my experience this week with this verse. Uh, we were out uh, driving somewhere with Megan, our daughter in Colorado, and it was just Megan and I. Usually this doesn't happen. Usually I don't get to steal any time alone. And, uh, but I did. And so we were going along, and I had read that, morning, that morning. I'd got up and was reading some scripture, and I read this verse. I said, Megan, this verse typifies what's happened to you. Next week, it'll be one year since our son-in-law died and went to heaven. And uh, I, uh, I said, this is what's happened to you, Megan, since uh, you have suffered for a while. But I can already see that God is restoring you. God is supporting you. God is strengthening you. And I can see in your life what a firm foundation you're on. And I said, that's what's, you know, in a much lesser way, that's what's happened to me. I've seen that God has taken a horrible experience. And there, was, there were times when he was on my shoulder saying, God failed you, didn't he? Didn't answer that prayer, did he? And I come back and say, no, he's never failed me because he's restored me, strengthened me. Amen? Amen. 
Yes, sir. Charlie, speaking of physical suffering, how come some suffer longer than others? Suffer longer? Physical, you know, physical ailments. <laughs> yeah. Other diet cancer. It's a great so question. Three years. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I wish I had a great answer. It's 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 uh, why do good people suffer, and why do they suffer for a long time? There's a lot of good things written about that, and we most of the time I, I think Robert we won't know till we get to heaven. But let me give you one thing from this verse. Look at the word restore. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore you. Write down the verse Matthew 4:21. In that verse. Let me just tell you what the scene is. Jesus is going and he's, he first of all comes up on Simon, sees him fishing, says, come on, follow me. Then he comes to uh, James and John and Zebedee, their father, you know, the sons of thunder. And they're sitting there and they're, and they're in the boat. What does it say they're doing? Does anybody remember? They're mending their nets. Guess what? That word restore in this verse is the same word as mending in that chapter. So what God is doing is restoring. And I got holes in my net. And when I go through suffering, God comes in and he starts to mend that net. And for me, usually it takes a lot longer. Now that's not the only reason suffering takes place. Suffering takes place for many reasons. Sometimes it's because of, of the fallen world we're in, because we all suffer disease. We all suffer from that fallen world that started back in the garden that you talked about. Sometimes it's because of our sin, and we know when that when that happens. <laughs> we get the consequence of that. And sometimes it's to strengthen us. It's always to bring God glory, and it's always a part of him. The word restore there means to make you perfect, to equip, to adjust, and to fit together. So he's making, with these trials, and your nets are broken, and he's just, he's putting them back together again. He's mending it. He's restoring it. Let's read the final blessing, and then we'll close. Verse 11 through 14. Uh, let me, before I do that, let me stop. I, I don't want to miss this. It's too important. Circle the word called in verse 10 and the, and the word chosen in verse 13 in this text. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory. In verse 13, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you, called and chosen. Well, what does that mean? Let me give you a quote by a person I, I read this week, Kelly Bellary. I don't know, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Kelly I never have heard of her, but she writes really well based on this one quote. Listen to this. Acknowledge God chose you. This means out of all the millions of people he could have created, could have desired, and could have accepted by grace, he set his affections on you. If that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. Right? He's, out of all these people, he's, that's what called means. That's what chosen means. People say, 
What about all the people that are not receiving Christ that are, you know, I, I don't know, what about all those people over in this country or this country that didn't hear and everything? And I don't have, I don't have an answer to that. My, I'm at, you're asking the wrong question. I think the question is, why did God choose me? It's grace. He called. The final blessing, verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who's in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that's what they need. They need peace. I'll point out just a couple of things. She who is in Babylon. She is, uh, refers to the church. You have to look at other passages and other texts. The word church in Greek is ekklesia, which is the same. It, it is a feminine noun. And they're using that here. He, he's, I, I really believe that Peter's disguising a bit of this. Babylon is many times in Scripture refers to another place. Does anybody know what that other place is? Not Babylon, but what? Guess. What? Rome. Rome. Exactly. Rome. Many times. Where is Peter when he writes this? We think, we believe, historians tell us. Where do we, where do we think he is? Rome. Rome. I, I think that he might be... Uh, disguising a little bit of where he's at and what's going on 